Well, good morning, folks. Good morning. And uh, welcome to worship this morning uh, here at Bull Healthy. It's looking fairly full. This is encouraging. It's great. Um, when there's this number in the hall, it feels like it's coaching with people. Uh, but it's, it's, it's great to see uh, many of you out this morning. It's lovely to, to have a fuller church today. Um, a few announcements before we begin. Um, the social committee have um, been getting going again, which is great. And there are a few things in the pipeline uh, that they want you to know about. We're having a concert with um, Bruce Davis uh, that's going to be held in the Forsyth Hall Saturday the 5th of November. You'll remember that because it's bonfire night. 5th of November and it's from 2 to 4 in the afternoon so you don't have to come out in the dark. Uh, 2 to 4 in the afternoon Bruce will be doing some songs uh, for us that day. Tickets will be available in the weeks to come from the social committee members and it will be £6 entry. And if you haven't heard Bruce before he's a very accomplished um, uh, singer and guitar player, uh, lots of good songs, he, he's, um, he's good value for money. So uh, I would encourage you to, to come along, bring your friends, let them know, 5th of November, uh, 2 to 4 in the afternoon in the Forsyth Hall. And the Christmas Fair is going to be held on Saturday the 19th of November, and plenty of time for you to do your Christmas shopping. And again, that will be in the Forsyth Hall from 10 to 12. Uh, entry fee will be three pounds for adults and a pound for under 16s so that's 19th of november in the forsyth hall but hopefully we'll we'll be telling you these dates um, for the next few while just to remind you of them and we're planning hopefully to have bulletins out in your hands again soon so you can take them away and uh, remind yourself and other people about those dates and um, this is a, again a wee reminder that sunday school uh, will be running next sunday we're going to have sunday school on the first sunday of the month and all age uh, over in the hall on the third Sunday of the month. So we'll resume that pattern uh, from next Sunday. And next Sunday as well, the guild lunches are starting up as well. So if you're able to stay behind and support that uh, with a, a soup and cheese and bread uh, lunch after the service, it would be great to have you stay. Um, communion will be served next Sunday as well. So it's gonna be a busy day. Uh, so again, we'd love you to come along and to share in that time of fellowship together over communion. And lastly, just to say that Kirk Session are meeting for the first time uh, in this new church year um, on Wednesday at half past seven over in the hall. That's sounded like quite a lot of things going on this night's week. It's good that the wheels are beginning to turn a wee bit more in our life as a congregation. We're going to begin our worship this morning in the words of uh, hymn 190, Art thou afraid his power shall fail. Let's worship God together.
Let's join our hearts together in prayer now. Let us pray. Father, we don't doubt your power or fear that it will fail. We know that our world and that our lives are in good hands, that you can be trusted with these things. It's our power that we doubt. Our ability to practice the long obedience of faith in the face of everything that would distract us or draw us away from you. Our attention is often short-lived and so is our resolve. We let the muscles of our faith atrophy and then wonder why we don't have the stamina to cope when the going gets tough on life's journey. Lord, thank you for bearing with us, for remembering that we are dust, for loving us with the kind of love that takes us as we are, even as you are summoning out what we shall be. And so we come to you as we are this morning, grateful that you are saving us, not least saving us from ourselves. Eternal God in whom all things hold together, bring clarity where we're confused or uncertain, strength where our own strength is failing, hope where we are finding ourselves disheartened, love where we are struggling to keep caring. Thank you that in your perfect grace you have set your love upon us. And as we respond even now to that love, we are being changed more and more into the likeness of your Son. Thank you that you who began a good work in us will see it through to completion no matter how long it takes or how arduous the process. In Christ, that future is certain. Give us patience with others and with ourselves as we work our way towards it, one step at a time. So hear our prayers because we ask them all in the name of Jesus. And in his name we pray together saying, Our Father, Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings 19, and reading verses 1 to 18. And Jenny Nicol is going to read for us. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, May the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, 
get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food, forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Amen. Thanks, Jenny. We're going to um, just remain seated now and listen to uh, a hymn that I found this week on the net as I was thinking about today's service. We're thinking about people who are uh, struggling people who are in, in the depths of despair and, and uh, how we can perhaps help them and draw alongside them. And uh, I found this, this hymn on the net and rather than try and learn it today, I thought we'd just listen to it and perhaps we'll sing it again uh, in the weeks and months to come. But this hymn is called Out of the Depths. take a moment to pray now. Let's pray together. Lord,
Lord, thank you that you are God in all our times. Not simply when the sun's shining and things are going well, but in the days when the clouds uh, never seem to lift and things seem dark and hope seems well beyond our horizons. Lord, thank you that yesterday, today and forever, you are the same even in the midst of all the changing circumstances of our lives. We ask that you would help us to learn more and more to lean into you as the stable foundation of our lives. That we might be a house that's built on a rock that can survive the storms or a, a tree that's planted with deep roots beside streams of living water that can bend in the breeze and even in the gale but not be uprooted. Help us to put our roots deep into you, Lord, that we might be strong, not in our own strength, but in yours, and be strong to help others in their times of need. So hear our prayers, because we ask them all in Christ's name. Sounds impressive when you tell people that you took part in a sponsored walk from Land's End to John O'Groats. It's a wee bit less impressive when you tell them that you only did a 15-mile stretch of the 1,200-mile journey. Uh, although it does sound a bit more impressive when you tell them that 15 miles is 35,000 steps. Factor that in. But that end-to-end -end journey is exactly what our friend John Gibson has been undertaking for the last three months. And Rona and I, as well as Fiona Miller from this congregation and her husband Sandy, uh, we were glad to join uh, John last Saturday as he crossed the Black Isle and finished the penultimate week of this epic trek, which actually just finished yesterday. And this image was us uh, starting off from the townhouse in Inverness last Saturday. So why is John doing this? Well, on the 20th of October, 2019, uh, John and Isabel's son Cameron died by suicide. Cameron was just 24. He was a capable, popular and generous young man who loved the outdoors life and was doing well in his career as a vet and had an active social life with plenty of good friends. And as a result of that, his decision to leave this world came completely out of the blue. And as you can imagine, it rocked John and his family to the core. Now you couldn't get a more capable person than John Gibson. John was a professor of dentistry. He studied uh, dentistry at Glasgow University and then went on to do medicine so he could do uh, dental surgery. And that's where our paths crossed because he was a contemporary of Rona's at Glasgow University. And John rose very quickly to a high level within his career and became known and respected throughout Scotland and beyond as an expert in his field. And he's a man whose Christian faith is central to his whole outlook on life. And his patients and his colleagues know that in the way that he is with them. But in the aftermath of Cameron's loss, John admits that there were times when he himself contemplated ending it all just to escape the pain. And walking was a big part of what saved him. It's well known that men do their best talking side to side, not face to face. And getting out for long walks helped John to connect with nature and with the God who blesses us with it, but also with other people in whose company he began to open up a little bit and speak honestly about what he and Isabel and their other two children, Ailey and Malcolm, were going through in the wake of Cameron's death. And walking continues to be a huge part of John's ongoing recovery. And that's where the idea of doing Land's End to John O'Groats came from. John and his family wanted to find ways to create meaning out of this awful thing that had happened. 
And one way to do that was to try and raise awareness of the issues around suicide and to get people talking about them. So the strap line for this endeavor is one man walking, a million talking. And at every stage of the walk, John has been in the local press or on the radio or sometimes on national television. Uh, he and Izzy were in Songs of Praise not so long ago, speaking about his experience and encouraging people not to bottle things up when things become unbearable, but to get alongside others who can support them and help them to find a way through. Now, that's not always possible, but what we can do is draw alongside and try. And although there is a fundraising element to the walk as they try to raise money for the Canmore Trust, which is the suicide charity that they've started in Cameron's memory, the walk isn't just a means to a financial end. It's very much an end in itself. Lots of people whose lives have been affected by suicide have heard about the walk through social media or television or radio or the newspapers and they've decided to come and join in. Even though they don't know John, their lives have been affected and they want to be a part of this. Some of them are still early in grief and stunned by what's happened. Others are further on in their journey. But in joining the walk, all of them have found fellowship and understanding and a safe place to open up and to speak about the awful events that they have gone through. And as we prepared to set off from Inverness last Saturday, John told us a couple of stories of the difference that this walk has already been making. One was from the very first day, starting out at Land's End. And there was a woman there who noticed that something was afoot and she stopped to ask them what they were doing. And when they explained the purpose of the walk, she said that one of her close relatives had completed suicide about 30 years ago. But that loss had never been spoken about in her family. And seeing what John and these others were doing in Cameron's memory made her realize that it was time that that had to change. Just a few days later, I think it was on the third day of the walk, one of John's walking pals, another John, misplaced one of the flags that they'd had made up with the Canmore Trust logo on it. And they walk with these flags sticking out of their rucksacks so that folk can follow them uh, more easily in the walk. And a few days after that, they got a message from a woman who had reached a place where everything was getting on top of her. And she'd woken up that morning and decided that she wanted to end her life. But as she headed out, she noticed a piece of greeny-blue fabric at the side of the road. And it was that lost flag. And she looked up the Canmore Trust and she read Cameron's story. And she couldn't believe that on the day that she was going to end it all, she'd happened to stumble on the flag of a suicide charity. To her, it felt like a personal message not to give up. Whatever else you achieve on your walk, she told John, I want you to know that you've saved at least one life. Mine. What John's family have achieved so far is amazing, but he would be the first to tell you that the basic principles of supporting people in times of need aren't rocket science. You draw alongside them. You find ways to do that. You help them to unpack their stories. You listen respectfully and acknowledge their pain, but you also try to help them find a little hope in the middle of it all too. And I picked today's Bible story very much with all of that in mind. Chances are you know the still small voice bit of Elijah's story, but perhaps not what led to it. Elijah is a big hitter in the biblical story, arguably Israel's greatest prophet. But here, today, he's at his lowest ebb. Under Israel's king Ahab and his wife Jezebel, worship of the false god Baal has spread across the land. People have turned their backs on Yahweh, Israel's God, and Elijah feels like he's the last prophet standing. 
He's in permanent opposition to the rulers and to most of the people. And his life is in constant danger. And he's just won what in some ways was a great victory. At a showdown on Mount Carmel, he's proven to the people that Baal is nothing and Yahweh is everything. Baal's 450 prophets can't get their God to summon even a spark to light the kindling that's around the sacrifices they're trying to offer. They try for half a day and nothing happens. Elijah douses his sacrifice with water three times so it's dripping wet, calls on God and then watches the whole lot go up like it was dry tinder. The crowd get the message and the priests of Baal are slaughtered then and there by Elijah and the crowd. Now you would think Elijah would be happy, but instead all he wants to do is to curl up and die. Maybe killing 450 men in one sitting isn't all it's cracked up to be, even if it's done in God's name. So what does he do? Well, he leaves everyone behind. And he goes off into the wilderness. And he lies down under a solitary tree and he wishes for death. It's enough, Lord, he says. Take away my life. And with that, he falls into the little death that we call sleep. And he sleeps for a long time until he's met and touched by an angel, a messenger who draws alongside and has the good sense to start with the basics. Eat something, Elijah. Drink something. You'll feel better when you do. And he wakes and he eats and drinks and promptly falls straight back to sleep again. And then waking up, he takes some more food and drink. And that's probably a measure of his exhaustion. But duly refreshed, he makes the long journey to Mount Horeb and takes refuge in a cave. And while he's there, God asks him a question. And it's a question that is inviting him to tell his story. What are you doing here, Elijah? He asks. And in response, Elijah pours out this tale of woe. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're seeking my life to take it away. And it's always intrigued me and amused me and slightly chastened me that after the wind and the earthquake and the fire and the still small voice, when God asks Elijah that question again, Elijah gives exactly the same answer, word for word. It's almost like the writer of 1 Kings cut and pasted the text into another place. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. It's exactly the same litany. Can you see what's happening? This has become Elijah's story. It's the story that he's telling himself about his life and what it's worth and where it's going. He's reached a place where he's in a deep trench of weariness and despondency and he's unable to see anything beyond it. So what does God do? Well, God gets down into the trench with him and begins to help him out of it. And he starts, in what I guess might be a strange way, by giving him work to do. Prophet work. Go and anoint these two men as kings, he says. 
and then anoint Elisha as your successor. Yes, successor. I can see that you're needing the help, Elijah. When we're feeling overwhelmed and paralyzed by the big picture, sometimes it's doing the little achievable things that can help us to get going again. There's a lovely story about that from the writings of the the desert fathers. These were men and women who in the first couple of centuries of the church's life took themselves out into the desert to, to pursue God in a more focused and intentional way. And although often they lived as hermits, they also lived in community. So there was accountability and responsibility built in to that way of life. But the story goes that a, a brother in a monastic community came to see the leader, Abba Arsenius, saying that he just couldn't settle down into the rhythms of monastic life. And rather than stay in his cell, his chamber, he wanted to go about and visit the other monks and speak with them, and he wanted to find ways to help the poor and the sick. And these were good enough things, but they could also be ways of evading the monotony of a monk's core duties of reading and prayer and work. And that's what Abba Arsenius suspected was going on with this man. He was just bored and he wanted a way out. And so Abba Arsenius gave him this advice. He said, go, eat, drink, sleep. Just don't leave your cell. And as the narrator of this ancient story tells us, Abba Arsenius was well aware that it is endurance in the cell that makes a monk what he ought to be. For if you endure in your cell, you will eventually encounter both God and yourself. So for three days, the brother did just this. And after three days, he was overcome with acedia, which is a kind of depression of the soul that the monastics were very prone to. It's where you have no energy for anything, even remotely spiritual. But he found some little palm leaves, the kind that the brothers used to weave into baskets, and he set about trimming them to the right length. And then the following day, he started braiding them, working with his hands. And then when he felt hungry, he said, here are some more palm leaves. I'll prepare them and, and then I'll have something to eat. And he finished them and then he said, maybe I'll read a little bit before eating. And when he'd done some reading, he said, maybe now I, I could sing a few psalms and then I can eat with a good conscience knowing that I've worshipped God. And so says the, the narrator, by God's help, he went on little by little until he had become what he was meant to become. In our story today about Elijah, God gives him some manageable work to do, some occupation, work that he can accomplish. And that's part of the beginning of his healing, just some small things that he can do that might lead on to other things. But the second thing he does is that he helps to change Elijah's perspective by giving him some information he didn't have. And the only one left was Elijah's cry of woe. No, you're not, says God. I've got 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not as alone as you think you are. When we're down and struggling, we tend to believe what you might call our totalizing narratives. It's all awful. It's all useless. It's all down to me. It's all because of them. When we find ourselves in that headspace, a wise word from someone bringing a different perspective in our situation 
can feel like a breath of fresh air. I've been doing a little training and listening skills over the last wee while and read a book that's produced by the Samaritans that I found really helpful. Uh, it's called How to Listen. And I thought that this would be a good word to leave you with this morning because there will be times in our lives when folk in a bad way will need someone to listen to them. And that person could be you or it could be me. And these words come from a man called James who first reached out to the Samaritans when he found himself sliding into a spell of serious mental illness. And James says this, People's listening is something that has really helped me through some dark moments. It hasn't been about the person being skilled or offering exactly the right response or trying to fix anything or to give advice. It's about the amount that they've paid attention and the way that they've shown empathy and compassion. Just being there and giving somebody your time is one of the greatest gifts that you can give somebody. We were there last weekend with John and all the people walking from Inverness that day trying to give some of our time. And during the seven hours of walking, we did a lot more listening than talking with the people we got to know. Many of them still carrying pain from the consequences of a suicide in their family life. And we couldn't offer palliatives and there was no fixing things for them. But there was a deep sense that these folk needed to tell their stories. And it was an honor to have been allowed to hear them. We hope that our listening helped them. It certainly helped us. We both came away feeling that it had been one of the most memorable and meaningful days in our lives. Because despite the blisters, and the aching muscles that 35,000 steps bring, there were times that day when we could not have been clearer that in traveling with those folk and hearing their stories, we were walking on holy ground. Amen. going to sing a hymn now which I think follows on well from what I've been saying this morning and reminds us that in each of us Christ makes with his friends a touching place. It's hymn number 724, Christ is the world in which we move.
William Anderson's going to lead us now in our prayers for others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you that we can come and worship you this morning. We thank you for your Son, our Saviour, and for the Comforter, your Holy Spirit, who remains with us as we live in this sinful world. May we glorify your name and witness to others of their need of your saving grace. As you knock on their heart's door, may they be willing to open it and invite you into their lives. Lord, we thank you for all our blessings over the summer. And today we remember Ian Elizabeth as they celebrate their wedding anniversary in Australia with their family and be with all who are celebrating today. Heavenly Father, be with those who are caught up in the war in Ukraine and we ask that this conflict would quickly end. We ask you for all who are downcast. Meet them at the point of their need. We pray for those who are ill or recovering from illness. We remember especially those we know to be unwell in body or spirit, and we ask that they would know your presence with them. We pray for those who have been bereaved and finding their lives so changed. We pray for those who are worried about making ends meet now or in the days to come because of the steep rise in energy prices and inflation. We pray for the children and students as they go back to school or go on to work or university and we ask you to be with those who are still sorting their future out. We ask you to bless your work in this place. Let it be a bright and shining light for you. And we ask that those in our community who have no interest in you will realise the reality of their position and turn to your Son for salvation. We pray for all the organisations in our congregation and we especially ask your leading and blessing on the work amongst the children. Bless Paul, Rona, and their children. Be with our Queen and her family and direct her government in these very difficult days. As we ask all these things on behalf of others, help us to see what we ourselves can do to help those with particular needs and help us to do whatever we can to further your work. We ask these and all our prayers in the name of Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. Amen. Thank you, William. We close our worship this morning in the words of hymn number 694. Brother, sister, let me serve you.
now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.